so there's a principle that works in life, and it goes like this. You can never rise above the picture you have of yourself in your mind. And the way you see yourself determines really your future. If you see yourself pushed down, challenged, always behind, always broke, always fearful, always, 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 you will become that in your life. But God has something better for you, amen? And sometimes it's as simple as just redirecting your self-talk. You ever talk to yourself? Yeah, let's, it's okay. It's, you're not weird. You don't need drugs if you talk to yourself. But when you talk to yourself, what do you say to you? You see, the speech center of the brain is connected to your nervous system. So whatever you say, your nervous system will respond to whatever you're saying. So if you're saying fearful, I'm not gonna win, I'm gonna lose, or whatever you say, then your body is going to react to that and it's gonna carry out almost what seems like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, God has something better for us. Every one of us have a hunger for something, right? Let's say I have a hunger for God. How do I, how do I answer that? I feed the hunger. I have, I have a hunger for self-respect. You feed the hunger. You see, you have to feed what you're, where you wanna go in life, otherwise you're gonna find yourself always pressed down and not in control, but being controlled. Amen? One of the favorite writers of mine is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis was an Oxford professor who found Christ uh, really, uh, by the, by the, at the impulse of those around him who were uh, professors and students at Oxford. But one comment that he made I, I always loved is this. Once the author, that is God, steps on the stage, the play is over. And he used that the context of it was that, that whenever you read a play or you see a play, you're just maybe enthralled by that particular play, and, and you're just spellbound, but then... When the author of the play walks on the stage, now you meet the creator of that which moved your heart. You see, when God moves on the stage and you recognize God, now it moves you in a different way. Now it speaks to you in a different way. We're living in a day where God himself is getting our attention. And it's not a bad thing. You know, we can talk about the challenges of the day and the difficulties of the day, but the reality is that God is in control. Can I get an amen? amen? Regardless how it may feel, God is in control. And if you read the history of the Bible, if you just take the Bible and start reading it, it is a book about challenges met and overcome by faith. It is not a book about challenges, period. It's about overcoming the challenges in your life. And if you read it, it's just amazing how many real life story situations we can relate to. People who, had, who faced all kinds of difficulty, persecution, challenges in their life, and yet somehow God empowered them to move beyond that and to find success. The other interesting thing about it is the minute you start in chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, the Bible becomes a political book. People say, I don't know about this politics and Bible. Well, have you read the Bible lately? So here's what happens. All of a sudden, kingdom of Babylon comes, chapter 10. 
And now, what does the kingdom do? What does Nimrod do? He goes out and he starts controlling mankind. He begins slavery. First slavery begins Genesis chapter 10. He's taking people. He begins to build this Tower of Babel, and this, this Babylonian empire begins to rise. And we see Babylon all along where Daniel is taken captive. He's, he's basically kidnapped from his home in Israel, and he's taken into Babylon and by, forced, uh, by force, and he's under the control of the king. And then we see Assyria come in, and, and all of a sudden, all of God's people, they're fighting against Assyria. They're trying to say, how do we keep our faith in the middle of a political environment? Oh, and then you, you keep moving through it, and you see Persia rise up, and then Persia begins to dominate the world. Greeks come. The Romans come. Look at what Jesus did. He had to confront the political powers of his day. But he, he, he said, listen how, how it works. My kingdom is not of this world. It's in and it's greater than the world that you're living in. And all through history, God's people have to figure out how do we navigate in the environment we're in, loving God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and influencing people for the kingdom of God, amen? All right, now listen to this. General Douglas MacArthur made this statement uh, after the Korean War, he said, history fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has either been a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to an ultimate national disaster. Timely words, right? I don't know about you, but I'm gonna lean into the revival, the awakening of God, amen? Amen. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about how God stirs his people, but it always begins with this message of salvation. What I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about relationship. So just keep that word in mind, relationship. You have a relationship with God. If you know him, if you've come to know him, it's a relationship. He's not far removed and not relating to you. It's a relationship. Can you say relationship with me? relationship. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And listen to what Paul writes here. He said, in whom you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now let's just pause there. How did I come to know God? I came to know him in relationship. I heard the gospel. I trusted it. You say, well, what is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. Jesus died on a cross, according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. And he gives new life to all who call upon his name. It's very simple. It's so simple that we want to complicate it and somehow make it about what we do for God, how hard we work, how many times we attend church, whether we give, take communion, do baptism. It's none of those. It's all about relationship. Relationship. Listen to what he says. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So what happened? The day that you came to faith in Christ, if you've done that, what happened was you said, God, I believe. You probably said something like this, I know I don't deserve your love, but God, I know you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins to forgive me. Now, whether you knew it at that time or not, God's Spirit came into your heart, and then he put a seal on your heart. And the seal on the heart could never be broken. In other words, once God saves you, you're saved for eternity. That's good news, right? 
All right, we're, we're gonna give you some good news here. The, and look what it says, who is the promise and the guarantee of our inheritance. So you got saved, you got sealed, and then what did God do? He said, I have an inheritance for you. Do you know that the Bible says we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ? You see, God had something more for you than just to bring you into faith. What he wanted to do was seal you so you always felt secure in him. You never had to fear again. And then what he did, he said, and I have an inheritance for you in eternity. In other words, it's more than what you see right here. It is an inheritance, and the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Well, people say, well, you know, what happens? Uh, you know, I knew this guy, he was Christian, and, and now he's not a Christian, and so is he going to heaven, hell? What's going on there? I said, well, here's the thing. Once you come to faith in Christ, you are saved you're no longer your own. The Bible says you were bought with a price. God owns you. You say, well, I didn't know I was making that deal. Too late. <laughs> All right? So what does that mean? He puts his seal on you, and then he gives you a promise or a guarantee and inheritance at that moment. So now, so how do I answer that question? Well, I would say if they deny the faith, they never were a part of the faith. The Bible says in 1 John that they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But it came evident that they were not of us, for they departed from us. So what is one of the marks of really knowing God? It is your stability in your faith. You see, because it's not you trying to will yourself to stay in love with God. It's God loving you from the inside out, and he does not deny himself. In Deuteronomy 30, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, I believe it's verse six, it says that to the Old Testament, it was a picture of salvation. It said, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring that you will love the Lord your God. Now, did you notice it doesn't say you might love him. It says you will love him. You know, we're told today that you can't command love, and I think that's true, except in God's case, he said, if my spirit is in you, you are going to love me and I'm going to love you. You see, you, you can get away from God, but have you ever noticed how he just kind of drags you back in? Have you ever noticed how he brings people just to annoy you who are Christian and, and to confront you? Because why? Because he loves you so much. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of walking with him. So let's talk about what does this word saved mean? I'm gonna take you to Acts chapter four and verse 12. Now, there is no salvation, the Bible says, in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So how do we get to heaven? Jesus. Well, what about, no, Jesus. Yeah, but I, I, there's like all these religions, Jesus. See, Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, listen to the next part, and no one goes to the Father except by me. Now Jesus was either truthful, honest, God who he said he was, or he was a liar or a lunatic. I'm gonna go with he was God, he knew what he was talking about, and he said if you wanna get to heaven, you're gonna go through Jesus. Amen? I am the way, there is no other way. I am the truth, there is no other truth. I am the life, there is no other life. So it says you must be saved. How do I, I've gotta be saved because the Bible says there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
You see, it's not a matter of if you will bend the knee to the Lord. It is where and when will you bow the knee to God. And so God is calling us to understand salvation. You know, people are really hungry to know God. They might not be hungry for religion. They may not be even hungry for church, but they're hungry for God. And always, always find a way to bring this message of salvation to the heart of mankind who's looking to love God. Let me take you to Romans chapter nine and verse 10, one of my favorite passages on the subject. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, look what it says, you might be saved. Is that what it says? What does it say? You will be saved. You see, that's a promise of God. How do I know I'm saved? Well, let me ask you. Did you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Did you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Then the promise is you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Make it simple. Don't make it complicated. Have you ever noticed how people come into faith and it's very simple, and then the longer you're a Christian, the more complicated it gets? You are like, oh, why is it so hard now? It just was so simple in the beginning. Because we complicate it. We, we even classify it. Have you ever classified Christians this way? He's a really good Christian. Have you ever heard that? A really good Christian. You know, unlike the other guy, he's just a good Christian. And then you got the no good Christians. You know, we got, we got everybody, right? Do you know what the Bible does? It makes it so simple. It only classifies Christians in two categories, spiritual and carnal. I'm either walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God or I'm satisfying my own flesh. So then you can start asking people when they say he's a really good Christian, say, well, is he spiritual or carnal? Nobody wants that, right? You kind of want to be, I'm kind of a good Christian. I'm kind of close to God. You can't get kind of close to God. God is already close to you. He's closer than your own breath. How do you get away from him? He's so annoying, he stays with you everywhere you go. Every mistake you make, he's going, I'm here. Every time you say something you shouldn't say, he's going, yeah, and you're going, okay, God, I get it. I get the message. So it says that we're sealed. Now, what does the sealing of of the Holy Spirit do? It gives you two things, identity and security. See, you will never rise above the dominant thought in your mind. If your identity is not you're a child of the living God, then you're going to be finding some other identity to find meaning in your life. I'm sealed. My identity is sealed. I am a son, or in in your case, some of you, a daughter of the living God. And that is your identity, and that is your security for all eternity. So the first thing we need to remember is relationship. I have a relationship with God. He doesn't leave me because I sin. He doesn't leave me because I don't love him, though, as much as I used to. He's always loving me and drawing me back into his arms. Relationship. Can you say relationship? Second thing is wisdom. We all need wisdom, amen? So Paul addresses this in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. It says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. So how do I get wisdom? It's a gift from God. In my relationship with him, he gives me wisdom. People say, well, they're very wise. Now, there's all kinds of different ways we talk about people being wise. We can say, well, they've lived a long time. They've got a lot of experience. But the wisdom we're talking about here comes from God. In fact, James even says it this way. He says, does any of you lack wisdom? And I'm going, yeah. 
Let him ask of God who gives freely and without reproach. Do you know all you have to do to get wisdom in your life is ask God? But said, don't let him be like a double-minded man. In other words, you kind of, well, I asked God, but I don't think he's really gonna give it to me. No, don't let him be like a double-minded man, like, like the waves that move to and fro. But be single-minded, focused. If you ask God for wisdom, God's gonna give you wisdom. Accept the wisdom, say, I thank you, I've got the wisdom of God. And so it says here, who, who, uh, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So not only do I get wisdom, I get revelation. What is revelation? That is insight into what God is doing. That means when I read the Bible, I understand that in the context of my living, living out my life. It means that all of a sudden when I'm praying, God is showing me things in the spirit realm that I could not have gotten any other way. Spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you go, I don't even know what this thing is saying? Anybody had that experience? Come on, raise your hand. I don't even know what's going on in here, right? We've all had that experience. And, you know, and then maybe you'll read it a few years later and go, oh, I understand this now. What's happening is revelation is progressive. What does that mean? It means he's maturing you. He's giving you insights as you grow, as you develop in relationship with him. So there is wisdom that comes. You're gonna apply it, and there's revelation, insight into what's happening in my world. So when you're reading the Bible, you're going, you know, this sounds an awful lot like what I'm going through today. Well, that's because God is revealing it to you. See, the Bible is never static. It's not a Bible, a book that you just read it, you master it, and you've got it all, you know, done. I've, I've read it, I'm done. It's living and active according to Hebrews chapter four. What does that mean? If it's living, that means he's always making fresh application and revelation to you as you progress in your, in your Christian life. That's kind of neat. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Have you ever read the Bible and, and you found a place where you were guilty? <laughs> That's me. You ever had that? There's only me. All right, please, somebody else help me out. I don't want to be the only guy who feels guilty when I read the Bible sometimes. I go, ah, that's me. Well, that's because it says that the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces the division of the soul and the spirit. So my spirit man loves God. My soulish man sometimes doesn't. It says, we have to draw a division so you understand what's really happening. And then it says, and it reveals, the Spirit of God reveals, the Word of God reveals the true intentions of the heart. I don't even know what my, you know, have you ever heard people tell you something, hey, I prayed about it, feel really good about it? And it's so far from, the, from God's will and God's Word. You go, well, that's dumb. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I prayed, I felt good about it. I had a roommate, I think I told you that. I had a roommate that he felt like there were 10 different girls that he was supposed to marry. And every time he would break up with one and go to the next one, he said, yeah, God overrode that one. Well, I, I have a sneaking feeling that God didn't tell him to marry any of them, right? But see, you have to test what you're saying with the word of God, not with your emotions and your feelings. Otherwise, you are a carnal Christian. You see? You're trying to please yourself instead of please the one who loves you. All right, so watch what it does here. This is amazing. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Now think about that. Your understanding ha have a set of eyes. When you see something, 
You understand what's happening. The Bible says your understanding can have eyes. So you're reading the Bible or you're looking at life and you're praying and then you go, wow, now I understand it. Now I see it. Have you ever been reading the Bible and said, I've never seen this verse before? You're not saying you never read it. What you're saying is I've never seen it in this light of revelation before that helps me in my journey. See how amazing that is? That they may be enlightened, that you may know. So why, why does he do that? That I might know the hope of his calling. So what does it do when I start to read the word of God? He begins to reveal things to me, teach me things. My hope level goes up. I feel better about life. Why? Because I am in sync with God. God is speaking to me. I feel the confidence of God, the love of God. I'm not insecure. My identity's good. I'm work. This thing is working the way God wanted it to work. And so it's the hope of your calling. Look at that. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He says, I want you to step back and realize that I didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. I saved you so you could love life, so you could carry out my mission on earth, and one day, in eternity, we could all be together finding joy and happiness in an eternal level that can't even be described in earthly words or wisdom. So he says, I want you to understand that. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? You know how you function in life? You function with power. You ever felt powerless? You, you wanna feel powerless? Go to the, go to the DMV. I don't know how you feel more powerless than going to the DMV. You know, you walk in there, get in this line, you know, we might see you today or next year. You know, we don't really like any of you here. We're not going to smile, we don't care. You know, and I, you, just, you just lose your entire identity at the DMV, right? So whenever you feel proud, just go in there. It'll humble you, you'll bring you right down where you believe. But you see, what you need is power. Like, so I'm, I'm going to AAA. I'll show you. I'll pay 119 bucks a year. I'm going to AAA. I'm gonna. I'm bypassing that right there. What is that? That's empowering you. So think about like without God, you're like going to the DMV. With God, you're going to AAA, and you know somebody there. It gets even better. Oh, hey, hey, yeah, yeah. Here, come to the front of the line. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that right now. What happened? You had relationship power. You had power because you bought yourself into a better situation for $119 a year, right? And then you knew somebody, you had relationships, so now you're at the front of the line, you're going, this is really good, I'm making this so easy, and everything is working out. The same thing's true in the kingdom of God. You have relationship, you, you were, your, your front of the line was by the blood of Christ, he paid the price with his own life, got you to the front, he sees you, he says, oh, my son, my daughter, come up here to the front of the line, I'm gonna take care of you today. Don't worry about a thing. But what makes it even better than AAA? Is we get to the front of the line, you pull out your checkbook, he says, no, it's already been paid. You have a license now to serve and live in planet Earth at no cost because the power that works within you according to the working of his mighty power. Isn't that amazing? What are the three things? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. <clears throat> those three words are really key words in the word of God, especially in the book of Proverbs. You're, if you ever read Proverbs, you're gonna see those three words come together. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And the reason is, is because each one of those represent a member of the Trinity. 
So let's take a look at them. Wisdom is the Father. Knowledge is the Son. Understanding is the Holy Spirit. When you begin to see this in Proverbs, this is gonna be repeated multiple times over. What do I get from God? I get wisdom. The Son, while he is giving me the knowledge of the Father, and then understanding and revelation come from the Holy Spirit of God. So when Paul's saying in this passage of Scripture, you're gonna get wisdom, you're gonna get knowledge, and you're gonna get understanding, he's saying all of the Godhead is accessible to you, is living in you, so that you never feel like you're suffering loss or wanting any need in your life. Paul Bellheimer is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote a book uh, called Destined for the Throne. I probably read it uh, at least a dozen times. I really encourage you to read it. It's a short book, but it's a meaty book, if you know what I mean. It's like you gotta think about that a little bit. But listen to what he said. The only force in the world that is contesting Satan's total rule in human affairs is the church of the living God. I want you just, I want you to let that set in for a minute before we read the rest of it. The only force contending with Satan's total rule is the church of the living God. Who else is going to lift up truth? Who else is going to say morality matters? Who else is going to say that we're creating the image of God? Who else is gonna talk about heaven? Who else is gonna talk about eternity? Do you see the significant role that we play? That's why Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. Oh, you can bring things against the church. The church has been in, basically in battle for 2,000 years. It really has. But guess what? We're still here. We're still thriving. Things are still happening in our world. I wanna speak about this a little bit later in a fuller way, but it was in this month, 1989, that three and a half million people from Latvia and Romania joined hands against communism. See, a lot of people think Reagan knocked the wall down. He didn't. It was the people who were demanding freedom. They joined hands in solidarity, three and a half million all across Eastern Europe. And it began to crumble the infrastructure of communism. Because you see, we were designed by God for freedom. That's why we so resonate with our Constitution, because we are designed for freedom. You know, people say, well, what about this and what about that? I said, you know, what about the vaccine, the mask? Listen, to me, those aren't the issues. The issue is individual liberty and freedom. If you're a citizen of America, you have the right to choose to do those or not to do those. You know, don't violate three or four amendments just trying to get something done. And so I think the real issue in our world today, in America, is this matter of freedom. The freedom of conscience. The freedom, the free pursuit of liberty, and all that goes with it. Let me go on and read. If there were nothing to hinder him, Satan would make a hell out of this world here and now. The only saving and healing virtue in the howling deserts of human life flows from the cross of Calvary. Amen? You see, that's what sets us free. It is the centerpiece of everything. I heard a story of a little boy. He wasn't real accustomed to church, and, and uh, he went into church with his parents, and he said, uh, Mom, look up there. This is a very positive church. 
She said, what do you mean it's a positive? Well, look, they have a big plus sign up on the stage. I like that perspective. The cross is something positive. Amen? It's what gives us salvation, what gives us life. You know, sometime earlier this year, we, we in our frustration with just trying to, to navigate how do we be a church when we're closed down and what do we do and how do we find that balance, we started something called American Faith. And some of you have heard about that, some of you haven't, but um, God has blessed it in such a unique way. And he seems to just kind of take his hand and put, us, put it on us as a body to do unique things and, and, and to kind of influence society. We have had such a great relationship with our city uh, officials, um, I, and I, I really feel blessed. I feel like it was intentional. Um, I've been the moderator of a mayor debate, two city council uh, debates right here in this building. Now, you think about that. Just think about that, Right? Um, our relationship with the Boys and Girls Club, we have been uh, helping them, uh, providing two to 3,000 toys at Christmas time, skateboards, bicycles. We've gone down there and taught courses in Spanish, and then we fed uh, probably up to two to three tons of food a week for the Boys and Girls Club. That's just our relationship with the city. And you see, I really believe that when we're intentional to find ways to build bridges, that when the situation comes that we need their help, they step in and help us. So we had an event a couple of weeks ago, and, and the permit was slowed down, and I called a couple of people, and I said, can you help me out with this? And I had the city planner, I had the head of planning and building, I had the former mayor, I had all these people were calling going, hey, we gotta get this done. Now, I don't say that for any other reason to say we did something for them first. That's a kingdom principle. If you really want to reach somebody that you're trying to, that you're working with, that you, you go to school with or whatever, try to show kindness and love first without expectation of return. And when you do that, it'll come back at unexpected moments to bless you. Amen? One further story, we, uh, when we first uh, bought this building, there were all these uh, poster, these uh, flags that hung on the light poles, and they were the, you know, commemorating the, uh, the life and served and given in the military for different people that were from Anaheim. And I noticed a couple of them were torn, and I, I called up the city. I said, hey, I just want to report a couple of these are torn, and, and uh, you might want to replace them. I said, oh, we don't have that in our budget. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I didn't know how much they cost, or I probably wouldn't have made the statement, but I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. I said, everyone that tears, you send us a bill and we'll pay for it. And it turned out they were about $300 a piece and I think we paid for 20 of them uh, in one month. But let me tell you something. When you put your heart and your life back into your city, back into the place where you live and work, when you pay your dues, God will honor that. God will always honor that. So that means when you show up at a school board meeting and you're prepared to say the right thing and not just get mad, you will be heard. When you start running for office, and I hope some of you will, you know, do it in a way that is, is receptive to the hearts of mankind. We're supposed to change the world, not be obnoxious. Hello. Right? We're supposed to change the world. So anyway, we, uh, we started uh, American Faith, and in April we had a big gala. Some of you were there, uh, had a great time, and uh, just preparing us for more big events, I'm sure. But anyway, um, 
We had about 250,000 views on our, on our website at that time, which was quite a bit for something we didn't even plan and know what we were doing. So, um, but uh, two weeks ago, it hit 1.2 million people are on that website now. And then we have now started uh, the TV shows on there, and so the first one to launch was mine. It's called America's War Room. I have a 30-second clip. I just want you to see it. I want you to go online, check it out, and uh, find out kind of what we're doing. We're going to be launching uh, uh, Melissa Tate, uh, who's, who's just a fire, fireball. I mean, she's great. She has about 900,000 Twitter followers. Um, wrote as She's a black gal from um, Zimbabwe. Uh, immigrated here uh, to America the right way and, uh, and is now a real influencer. And then Bill Fetter, how many of you remember Bill Fetter? He's the only guy in our church that ever got a standing ovation. I never got a standing ovation, but Bill Fetter did. Uh, and uh, actually, Bill's gonna be with us next week. He's gonna preach here. I'll be here, but Bill's gonna be here. We're gonna be filming some of his TV shows. But watch this little clip. It's 30 seconds long. And uh, by the way, I do have the same outfit on, so if you notice that, um, our sound guy already said, are you gonna go like this? Because it's in the video. So watch the video. What we're doing with American Faith, it is an extension of what we do here. Just like what we do with Women of Influence, what we do with Influenced Music, those are extensions of ways that we're going to reach. Jesus said, I want you to be wise as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. You see, we have to sneak the gospel into some situations. Amen? And we know Jehovah Sneaky loves us, and he, he, he is honored with that. The third thing that you really need, so the first thing we need, relationship. We need wisdom, but you need boldness. You need to be bold. Look at Ephesians 3, 10 through 13. The manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored, multi-angled wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Do you know why God reveals to you his mighty power and his wisdom and his understanding? Well, one reason is to confront demonic spirits that come up against us. That's what it says. Look at the scripture. That God might make known by the church, by us, to who? The principalities and powers where? In heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness. Now, you know what's interesting about that word boldness? It's literally the Greek word for free speech. I don't know if that just grabs you. It grabs me. In a, in a day when free speech is, you know, is a, at a premium, right? It says you might have boldness, and it literally is the same word they described in that society in Greece and in Rome. What is free speech? It's boldness. Because what happens when you feel... You know, you feel pressed down. You don't feel the freedom. Well, you're not bold. I just don't want to say anything. Have you ever had that? Like, you know, have you seen comments on, like, social media? And you go, like, I'd like to just blow this guy up, right? You know, and they go, nah, the ramifications of it are too great. I'm just going to, you know. And, and then you kind of think about it and think, well, what can I say? How can I do this? And you try to be nice, and then they blow you up anyway. But 
But God said, listen, I want you to make known, but you have to do it with boldness. You cannot be a Christian and be timid. Did you ever hear this growing up? You know, there's two things we don't talk about, religion and politics. You ever heard that? That had to come from the devil. There's no way. I'm not gonna talk about Jesus Christ. Right? And the whole idea was they were so divisive that if we talk about it, we'd probably all get in an argument. We just had some friends in from out of state, and um, his dad was a congressman, uh, and he's, a, he's an attorney, and they tend to be on the left side, very liberal uh, in a lot of ways. And so we had this great dialogue, you know, and I, and I was, Tammy warned me ahead of time, now don't talk about politics, right? <laughs> you know, I, I, guys, you ever get these little talks beforehand? You know, like, okay, now don't, don't get into it, let's just enjoy time, you know? I said, if he brings it up, I'm going in. But I won't bring it up, right? I won't, I won't initiate it, but I, if, he's, if he baits me, I'm going in. And he baited me, you know. <laughs> baited me, you know. And so, but here's the thing. We probably had a two-hour conversation without getting mad, listening, reasoning, talking, seeing perspective. And I think that's the way it should be, amen? You know, just, hey, I just help me to understand where you're coming from on that. And then, you know, he, he kind of said, well, this sounds like a bunch of right-wing conspiracy. I said, well, I'm gonna send you something. It was research done, Harvard and MIT. Is that right-wing? Well, no, I don't think so. Okay, so it's about as left as you can get. So uh, anyway, I sent it to him. And, and the thing is, sometimes we have perspectives because of what we don't know. We just don't know. So he says that you might have boldness, that is free speech, and access. So I have access to God. See, if I'm gonna be bold, I gotta have access to God. God's gotta be on my team, amen? God's gotta be secure and, and speaking in confidence through faith in him. How about confidence? You ever seen a confident person? I remember growing up, there was my good friend had a, had a little sister who was ugly. No, she was ugly. I'm telling you, she was ugly. Anybody saw her say she was ugly? But this is a miracle. I'm gonna tell you, this is a miracle story. If you've never heard this story, it's a great story. Okay, but her parents told her she was beautiful every day. Okay, and she believed it. And I remember the day it happened. I was a senior. She was, what would that have been, 10th grade. She was in 10th grade. And she was so, she always got all the best looking boyfriends. I mean, she like, she like ruled the school. She was ugly. But I remember the day it happened. I looked over and I saw her. I thought, she looks pretty good. What happened? What she had on the inside was stronger than what she had on the outside. What you have to have on the inside has to be stronger than what's happening on the outside of your life. Because if it's not, you're gonna fold. You're gonna be ugly, so to speak. Right? She probably went on and won some beauty contest. Who knows? I don't know what happened to her. But that's the principle of Christianity. That's Christ in you and living his life in you and through you is so powerful that it overwhelms and overruns everything around you. And you become magnetic and people are going, what do you got? What's going on in your life? It's a confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you to do not lose heart. You see, the reason I don't lose heart is because of my relationship with God. 
If I focus on the world and the circumstances and everything around me, I can lose heart pretty easy. But if I stay focused on God, I don't lose heart at, and look what he says, at my tribulations for you. Paul says, I know you're probably, you know, Paul been in jail and, and he wrote most of the letters that he wrote from, from jail. He was persecuted, he was beaten, he was finally executed in Rome for his faith. But he said, listen, don't lose hope over me. Don't, don't lose heart over me. No, 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 these are all working in me an eternal weight of glory, which is for your glory. In other words, when someone suffers for their faith, let it be an encouragement to you. Let it be encouragement. What, is the, what does the manifold wisdom of God do? It exposes darkness. Turns the light on. Wisdom of God turns the light on. Amen? It also reveals God's purpose. See, the manifold, oh, now I understand what's going on here. Now I, under, I get it. J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, a couple of things in there I just want to, it was so powerful I wanted to share with you. Quote, there's some good things in this world and it's worth fighting for. I like that. It's easy to get discouraged when you see bad news. I want you to know there's some good things in this world worth fighting for. Amen? Amen? But you got to fight for them. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it's not this day. An hour of woe and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down, but it's not this day. This day we will fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West, stand. Those words could not be spoken to be any truer than the day that we live in. You see, God wants to take us and cause us to stand, not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Stand, stand for God. Would you stand with me? And as you stand now in that physical posture of standing, I want you to just ask yourself this question. Am I standing spiritually, emotionally, mentally, or am I just standing physically? If you say, well, I'm not sure, I've, I've got all those down. I said, okay, move in the direction of what you hunger. Do you hunger to stand? Then move in the direction of hunger. Feed the hunger with action. I'm gonna stand for God. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it may cost, but I'm gonna stand for God in my world. And if I only make a 1% advancement today, I'm gonna make a 1% advancement. If I can do four or 5%, that's great. But listen, you gotta start somewhere standing for your faith because guess what? You got all the power and all the authority to do it. Amen? Amen? I mean, I don't know about you, this is good news. Amen. Let me ask you something. Do you know Christ? We, we gave you a very simple plan of salvation, that we must be saved by Jesus, that he died on the cross for us. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Has that happened to you? If it's not happened to you, can I invite you just to pray with me this morning and ask Christ to save your very soul? Just bow your head and pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, you can pray it right out loud, it's fine. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. You've promised that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart 
that God raised him from the dead, that I would be saved. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. If that was your prayer, just thank him because he heard your prayer, he saw your faith, and he changed your life. He wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? Amen.